and, and you know what we've seen actually work really well is there might be a I don't know there might be a, a head of sales there might be a head of marketing in there that there's never been a, a VP or a CMO before but they have a lot of potential but what they really need is just support Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in-the-weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations, we handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. I am stoked to welcome Tom Glasson to the show today. Tom, you have so many current and present and otherwise projects on your LinkedIn that it would be a disservice for me to even try to speak your bio. So I am just going to hand it over to you. Please introduce yourself and all your things. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Ledge. Great to be here. So, so yeah, primarily, uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO of a company called Scalewise. Uh, and we exist to give seed to Series C, B2B tech companies, flexible access to world-class revenue expertise to help them accelerate growth and and that could be anything from a kind of you know a few hours a month of of what we call scale coaching from an experienced uh, often full-time employed revenue operator um, through to providing them with let's say a fractional or interim leader such as a cmo or a cro or perhaps a vp of sales who could work in their business for for two to three days a week and um yeah, and we're really fortunate. We, we've been able to onboard several hundred awesome revenue leaders due to my close connection with Pavilion, which is the other thing on my LinkedIn profile. I'm sure many of your listeners will know uh, Revenue Collective, as it was called uh, prior to the rebrand. In fact, I see that you're connected with a few uh, members, Ledge, people like Carl Coleman at, at Clary and Scott Britton at Troops. Um, well, I founded the London chapter of Revenue Collective back in 2018 um, when the community was just a handful of members at the time in in New York. And, uh, and yeah, I suppose through building the London chapter of Pavilion, I just realized we had a really big opportunity to, to help startups tap into the expertise that we had in the community to, to ultimately support their, their scaling journey, which is why we founded Pavilion. But I also just uh, the other thing on my, uh, on my LinkedIn is I also I'm a founding coach at Sales Impact Academy, um, which is a live learning platform for go-to-market teams. So I teach the, the seven-week managing the complete sales cycle course. Um, it's kind of 14 one-hour lessons spread over those seven weeks. And I teach that four times a year uh, with my co-teacher, Ben, uh, ben Rice. And that's all about teaching AEs to be able to maintain maximum momentum in their sales cycles and, and hopefully improve their win rates as well. Well, we don't have anything to talk about today, so I guess that's it. But no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Let me let me put structure around because I, I get this question a lot. I consider myself a revenue leader, which I kind of evolved into from just thinking about sales. And I think it's important to talk about that, like from the standpoint of why did those of us in the industry start to resonate with revenue and how is that different than what would have been sales in the past? Mm. Yeah, and I use the, the term revenue leader as a kind of catch-all for anyone that sits within that commercial function, right? So it's um, 
Now, a customer success leader for me is a revenue leader. Um, maybe maybe disputable if they're not owning any upsell and maybe they're just driving NPS and, and, and customer SAP. But but yeah, so when I think about revenue leader, it's it's sales, it's marketing, it's customer success, it's RevOps, it's biz dev and partnerships. Um, but obviously the kind of term that gets branded around a lot is the CRO, right? The chief revenue officer, you know, someone that is overseeing all of that that commercial function. And and that's a role I've done in the past. Uh, I would say that it, you know, it's a role that I think people often misunderstand and, and get wrong when they're hiring. I think it's also a role that people hire too early. Uh, so they think they need a CRO when really they need a head of sales or a VP of sales. But, but yeah, I, I use the term revenue leader as a catch-all, really. Yeah. And I've started to think about that commercial function thing myself. And that language just wasn't around a couple of years ago, mm. you know, that, that you ought to think about that collection of functions that the company does relative to, you know, all customer touch points and any type of transaction that commercialized or brought to the revenue of the, like the top line orientation of that. Mm -hmm. And it's, if I wasn't in the space, I think I would be confused by that. Like (laughs) when you say like, well, how do I know which one I need? And I think that we don't do a good job as the maybe revenue leaders or commercial function leaders or whatever, like even explaining that, which is probably mm-hmm. a good thing that you have a coaching academy to begin with. But yeah, mm-hmm. I'd love to dive into that because I, I know having interviewed hundreds of people around this, that like nobody really has a standard definition for this thing. No, no. And 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 I think the challenge as well is is, is that definition differs kind of regionally as well. So, you know, in the UK, for example, how they use the term revenue leader or, or chief revenue officer might differ to, to the US or perhaps mainland Europe too. So there's definitely ambiguity around there. And the part of what we're trying to do at, at Scalewise is really um, help people to understand these different roles, help them understand what they actually need based on their stage of business. And ultimately then either find someone for them that's a perfect fit or uh, find a coach or an expert that can support you know, whoever happens to be in that business that might be maybe feeling some growing pains as that company scales. And that's a that's a big challenge that we see in a lot of these fast growth startups is that people are kind of being stretched out of their comfort zone. The company is growing maybe quicker than they're able to to develop themselves. And so we, we love supporting those individuals with what we call scale coaches to, to help them figure things out. Right, right. What are the key things that you look at, you know, from a scale coach perspective to know what a company needs like what are the heuristics of that yeah i mean it, it, a lot of it depends on the on the company and, and the stage as i said and the, and the team that they've got the expertise that they have within the business i mean we have countless examples of companies coming to us saying hey we're looking to hire a cmo we've been looking for the last 12 months uh still haven't found anyone or we had a cro but they lasted six months and and now we don't have any kind of revenue leadership in the in the business. And, and, you know, what we've seen actually work really well is there might be a, I don't know, there might be a, a head of sales, there might be a head of marketing in there that, that has never been a, a VP or a CMO before, but they have a lot of potential, but what they really need is just support and filling in some of those expertise and experience gaps. And so with great examples where we've, we've kind of plugged in a head of marketing into one of our CMO scale coaches, they've worked with them for a few months. And in actually one particular example that I'm thinking about here, a company called Released, where uh, they were looking to hire a CMO, but the CRO uh, decided to invest in the head of marketing. We worked with that head of marketing for four months, 
that head of marketing was able to level up to the point where they were having record quarters of um, of pipeline growth. And, and in the end, they didn't actually end up hiring a CMO. They promoted that individual. And, and I think that's a great story. I mean, it's great, you know, culturally as well, right? In this kind of challenging hiring market that we have to kind of show that you're developing from within and not always relying on external hires. That's a, that's a, that's a big win. Um, especially when it's taking so long to hire senior revenue leaders at the moment. It's uh, it's crazy that the way the market's gone at the moment. I think it's taking so long to hire anybody at the moment. And who wants <laughs> yeah. to stick around? I mean, it's, Absolutely. it's wild. Um, I've certainly seen an uptick in you know, just yeah. all kinds of outreach of like, Hey, would you consider a job? Hey, would you consider a job? And I, I like being, you know, my own boss, but um, yeah. it's incredible, mm. you know, just watching the flow there. I, I can't imagine having to build out a hiring pipeline for leadership right now mm. from a well, scale up perspective. I mean, the solution makes a lot of sense. And you know why it's happening? 620 billion invested into startups by VCs last year. And that, that, I mean, you don't get a concept of how big that number is until you realize that the year before in 2020, it was less than half of that. So it was kind of 300 billion. So the amount of money, VC money that's gone into startups last year is double the year before. And by the way, 2020 was a record year as well. It wasn't a small year despite COVID. So everyone is raising money. Everyone is looking to hire. And there is a real shortage of talent. There really is. Everyone's fighting over the same small pool of candidates, especially the further up the kind of leadership ladder you go. So, so yeah, we're, we're really, it really motivates us to try and help solve that problem. And it's great to kind of you know do the things I was talking about um, earlier. And that can sometimes just be putting in an interim leader, right? You know, putting in an interim CMO or CRO to plug that nine month gap or that 12 month gap that they might have whilst they're hiring a full time. And, you know, we've got some great, great stories around that as well. Yeah. How do you think about interim versus fractional versus, you know, whatever the other mm -hmm. sort of flavors of that are? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, for me, fractional is particularly helpful when they really want to have someone for a, a reasonable period of time. They're not planning to necessarily hire a full time. Uh, anytime soon, um, but they need an executive that is experienced. Perhaps they can't afford them full time, but they want someone to come in two or three days a week that can build those foundations, that can you know take the commercial team off the CEO or founder who's often leading it. Uh, and and that's a fraction. And there's lots of great use cases, and and I've seen it work really well. But then I think interim is slightly different proposition. Interim can actually be full time. It can also be fractional interim, right? It can still be two or three days a week, but it's normally for a defined period of time whilst you're looking to hire that that full-time. Uh, and the great thing about an interim is they can come in and actually one of their jobs can be to hire that full-time person. Um, and they're much better placed, quite frankly, to hire a, you know, an experienced VP of sales as an as a experienced VP of sales themselves rather than the CEO or the founder perhaps who hasn't done that role before you know, trying to hire, which is why I think we get this crazy stat of, the 18 month tenure for VP of sales is because more often than not, you know, people don't know what they're looking for. They don't know how to hire and to select the right candidates. And then for whatever reason, they, they end up not working out. So the interim can be a really nice way of plugging some gaps in the team, putting out some fires, building some foundations, and then hiring their successor and, and hopefully making sure that that hire is going to stick and not, not leave after 18 months. Yeah. And it gives you that disposition of like a interim can sort of be a wholly dedicated but consulting minded person because I need to take this company to the next level. Yeah. Uh, but I think also those types of 
people are well suited because they do want relatively 18 month tenure. They're going to get bored. Mm. They would have quit if it was their real job, you know? So there's a disposition of that external Mm. consultant slash, you know, engagement mindset where Mm. it's good because they're motivated to actually make that change. They're not, you know, sort of embedded in the organization forever. They get to have a third party viewpoint. And this is definitely a trend that I'm seeing in the in the market is that, and this has come through, you know, meeting with probably six, seven hundred revenue leaders over the last few years as I've been building Pavilion is, is there's a real trend towards revenue leaders, perhaps of a certain age, you know, kind of when they get into their 40s and they've got kids and they want a bit more flexibility and work-life balance, perhaps they're they're sick of like that single, you know, employer, um, shitty bit of equity, shitty job security. And they want to build a, a kind of portfolio career, right? They want to do a bit more coaching, a bit more consulting, a bit more advisory work, some fractional gigs. And they really value that flexibility and that that variety as well. And so that was the other thing that really inspired us to build Scalewise is that what we do is we enable people to take that step off the full-time employment hamster wheel and into a portfolio career, but without having to worry about business development, contracts, invoicing, chasing payments from clients. We take all of that stuff away from them and it's been really nice to be able to kind of empower you know those revenue leaders like like i was a couple of years ago that you know was kind of done with being full-time employed quite frankly and i and i wanted to kind of pursue that that portfolio career so that that's a, that really gives us um a, a lot of joy as well is, is enabling that to happen so before i hit record i mentioned that you know i exist in the revenue function of scaling and building out sales for services companies and you know mm. it's way different than you know what a b2b sort of SaaS and technology type of experience is but then it just struck me as you described that is like you're building and scaling a services business for mm. i mean it's a platform but yeah. you're doing the thing that you know so we were talking about and mm. uh, i just wonder how that experience looks different because humans don't scale and don't have you know a 90 percent uh gross margin so <laughs> yeah no you're, you're completely right and this is the first time i've i've kind of built a, a services business and i'm really trying to lean on tech as as much as we can because i'm so used to the recurring revenue models and the and the high margin so so we launch our platform next next month which basically is a marketplace for for this scale expertise so clients can come in they can search and they can apply filters around industry experience stage of stage of business average deal size, length of sales cycle, you, you name it, and they can they can pinpoint the perfect scale expert for them. And then the platform takes care of the messaging, you know, the invoicing, the payments, the scheduling of, of those sessions. And so, you know, we are trying to build tech around what is, as you say, it's a very service-driven um, business. And we're also trying to create a bit of a recurring revenue model. So, you know, we're encouraging people to sign up to a subscription that enables them to to get more value than buying some one-off hours or one-off days. So, so yeah, but it, it's uh, it's certainly different. And, uh, and I'm having to get my head around the whole marketplace dynamics and liquidity and, you know, how do you think about all that stuff? So, um, yeah, a bit out of my comfort zone, it'd be, it'd be fair to say. But thankfully, I've got a great network of experts around me, <laughs> some with great marketplace experience as well. So that's awesome. Yeah, well, you solved, you know, the, and I, I have been in the marketplace business and you solved one of the problems by just that huge network that you started with. Because if you were to start a network from scratch or, a, you know, marketplace based business, 
they typically find how very expensive it is to subsidize su supply in order to have any demand. And since you have supply and people that trust you, I think that that makes a huge difference. Yeah, which is why I said when I explained what we did at Scalewise, how we're really fortunate to to have this supply because of because of my relationship with Pavilion. I, I you know, that that um, I, I never forget how lucky I am in that respect. Yeah, fantastic. Well, so when you put those projects all together in, you have that portfolio kind of lifestyle. Mm. And then, I mean, the next thing that comes to me, having been the person that had, you know, up to seven LLCs at the same time and realizing the limits of my own focus, uh, <laughs> that they're much smaller and I'm better off in a single project or, you know, at that the most, maybe two, three major client projects. I wonder yeah. how you've learned to evolve and think about time management, focus, thinking time. Like, how do you do yeah. that? There's just only X number of days in the week. Yeah. This is a massive thing for me. And it's something I've, I'm, I'm constantly trying to work on. And I don't think I've necessarily cracked it, but I'm, I'm really diligent with, with what I'm working on, on what hours of the day. And so I have days that are my scale wise days. I have days that are my pavilion days. I have, um, SIA commitments. I have some advisory roles, but I'm but I'm really strict, and I avoid at all cost looking at my different email inboxes for those different uh, businesses, unless it's the day that I should be looking at that inbox. And that sometimes means that people have to wait a little longer to get a response from me. It can be 24 or 48 hours, but I figure that in, if it's really urgent, they will they'll text me probably. And and so far this year, this is what I've been sticking to, and and it's and it's actually worked really well because the context switching isn't there, um, the kind of constant email grazing which I think is a bad habit that we all have, which is a productivity killer, just grazing on email. Um, you know, I'm trying to block out all of that. And and then the other thing that just, you know, is really helpful is I have a great team. You know, I have great people that that support me, um, whether that be on Pavilion or Scalewise. You know, it, it frees up a lot of my time for thinking and and, and strategy and um, really focusing on the the important stuff, not necessarily always the urgent stuff. And one of those great, great team mates is my wife, who's my co-founder at Scalewise. So, um, and, and I also have my good friend, Gavin Sumner, who, so the, the three of us are co-founders and uh, yeah, I'm very lucky that I have them supporting me. Yeah, that's awesome. It's so hard to do that level of turn off and focus on, um, you know, a project level. And uh, mm. I know for myself, it's like, it becomes almost like a hobby and I hate this because I, I even have mm. notifications turned off, but invariably like I go in my phone and I love the word grace because <laughs> it's exactly what's happening. I check all the Slack channels and I check all the email addresses. It's like, it's like yeah. my hobby. And yet you're just like consuming brain cycles. And yeah. I, uh, I would love to have say that I could have that discipline that, that you're talking about. And yeah. it should be a, a personal goal of myself as well. So. It's hard, and I, I slip off the wagon ledge. I, I really do. Sometimes I, I, I fall off it, and I'm like, no, no, you're not allowed to do that. I try and stick to a, a one-read policy on my emails, so I'm not allowed to look at an email and not respond to it. And so I, I you know, I, I, that, that's because you just use brain power. If you look at it, and then you leave it, and then you come back to it later, you look at it again, you might look at it for a third time. So a one-read rule. You can only read it, and you've got to respond. Um, and then I... Now, I use Superhuman as my my email uh, client, so I, I'm, I'm always trying to get to that inbox zero, so I can get that lovely picture that they show me when I get to to inbox zero. So yeah, that's <laughs> that's, not, that's my focus. 
Yeah, I've I've recently hit inbox zero and I almost think like something's broken, you know. I'm like, <laughs> why didn't I get any emails? And and I actually I hired, you know, or we we actually reallocated somebody in our business that um, you know, is just a fantastic administrator and like it, it's a disservice to say executive mm-hmm. assistant, you know, because she's yeah. so good and have somebody else in there looking at that stuff and just prioritizing for me mm-hmm. has been uh, beyond valuable that I'm like, geez, mm-hmm. I, now I have room to think about things. I guess I better get some more strategic things to think about, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not fighting fires. And it's a strange change yeah. of like, you know, wow. Like I don't have to think about that. Um, yeah. I'm retraining myself around that. Definitely. And, and you know, as, as someone that was so used to fighting fires in VC-backed businesses for, for a long time, and that was my kind of state of, just general state of operating. And I had to, you know, it really took some acclimatizing for me to kind of not be fighting fires and to think at a slightly different level. And um, I definitely struggled. I, I, I felt like I was more effective when I was under pressure and, and fighting fires. Like that was when, that was when I kind of, the best would come out of me, but I'm trying to find a new way of working. And and as I say, it's it's a it's a process that I'm still working on. Yeah. I, I found myself that I was able to justify putting off the important work because there was always something, you know, sort of urgent yeah. going on. But then um, by not working the muscle of like, how do I solve this strategic problem? Mm-hmm. Like I started to like find that I was like, I don't know, just slower. And you know, so like this is not good. Like I need to be solving big <laughs> problems for the business, not yeah. not doing that and um, we went through a you know a staffing reorganization to address that mm. that problem mm. so i think you're so right about development of team uh clearly you've brought along uh, this is another thing i find with serial sort of successful founders is you you've been people collecting for so long that you can build a team that is really mm. effective and can kind of like share mind meld uh and i don't mm. think you can ever do that when you're you know, sort of early, you just don't have like, talk about network. It's not even just network. It's just like, that's my crew. Like I bring them every business. I stamp them out as I go. Yeah. But it's also knowing what you're good at and really being self-aware and and knowing what you enjoy, where your strengths are. You know, I I just know that there's certain things that I'm really, I shouldn't be doing. And and, and I think you start to develop that that self-awareness, that understanding the older you get. And and therefore you start plugging the gaps with people that you know can do that stuff better than you. Right. Absolutely. As you develop this business, you know, where, what do you see as the, I think people struggle sometimes with the sort of scale and build out of a a service related business or marketplace. Like, you know, there's a lot of like human moving parts there and Mm. um, you're servicing both sides and like, you have to have a really like sort of high touch type of experience there how big is too big? Like it doesn't scale indefinitely. It, it sort of has a, a different life cycle. And I just wonder how you guys are thinking about that. Yeah. And I, I think the, the more we can lean on the tech as a marketplace and, 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 you know, we can uh, almost let the quality rise to the surface through reviews and, and, and star ratings and, and other things like that will mean we have to do less on the front end in terms of vetting. Because uh, at the moment, we you know, we heavily vet every applicant that wants to become a scale expert. We're really making sure they're a fit for our ICP, that they've got the, the scaling experience that we're looking for, that our clients are looking for. Um, but I'm hoping over time we can really let the technology and, and the kind of algorithms that we're building as well, you know, create that matching process at scale uh, and do that with with less, you know, manual touch and less service layer over the top of it. 
Um, but fundamentally, I think you know we, we're trying to solve a really big problem here, which is the 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 challenge um, that startups have in 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 securing good talent and um, and ultimately scaling in the right way. And there's so many that that don't get it right. You know, certainly between C to Series B, there's there's so many mistakes that can that can get made there. Um, as it relates to go to market and, and and hiring in particular, and so you know, I think we you know we would love to see it, find a way of a increasing the talent pool that exists within go to market, and I think you know that's kind of what I'm doing through Sales Impact Academy. It's what I'm doing through Pavilion. It's like really helping people level up within their within their roles in their careers. But it's also what we're doing with Scalewise. We're, we're you know we're providing this what we call scale coaching to individuals so that we can have more VPs of sales and more great CROs and more great CMOs because you know, they've had some structured support, education, coaching along that journey. Um, but I think kind of bigger picture, uh, I just feel like the, the recruitment market is is there to be disrupted a little bit. And I feel like it's a bit of an old model. Um, I feel like it's kind of money for old rope. Um, I, I don't feel like they really earn their, their keep, a lot of them, in terms of what they're charging. Um, and I actually feel like there's a lot of um, bad placements that get made. And on the flip side, I think there's a lot of people that, you know, a bit, you know, from a candidate side that don't really enjoy the experience either. And, and and a lot of candidates, as I said earlier, don't want necessarily a full-time role anymore. So I think the kind of fractional on-demand executive thing as a, as a, as a kind of model to disrupt traditional full-time employment recruiters, um, you know, I would love to see that get disrupted. I would love to to see startups kind of benefit from this flexible nature that, that 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 we're seeing, you know, our clients benefit from, which is you know having a massive impact. That kind of on-demand exec, where you're not having to wait nine months to get a, a revenue leader in, you're having to wait three or four weeks, and you've got them in the business, and they're having an impact straight away. So that's kind of where I see it going. Yeah, I think that's tremendous. How does it align with, uh, you know, you probably looked at my profile. You know, I. I'm an advocate of, you know, almost like wholly outsourcing a, a function um, mm. with the, the idea that we will never have this thing internally, sort of like people, you know, in, in many cases, the whole finance and billing function, you know, has become mm. outsourced uh, yeah. in many, many ways like that my experiment, you know, with our, our business has been, let's take the entire revenue function and make it a self-consumable you know, fractional service, mm. but that scares people, you know, and I think there's all kinds of dis dispositions about should I, or should I not have, um, you know, this thing mm. kind of belong mm. to me, all of which has been even more muddied now that the fact is we're all little <laughs> pixelated blobs on a screen. And like literally the only difference now is how that check gets written. And, you know, so it's just been an interesting time. I just wonder how you think about you know, essentially yeah. outsource, insource, fractional, you know, like it, it all goes together. It does. It really does. And and I think there's definitely a place for for outsourcing. And uh, and I've seen it done really effectively. I've seen some excellent kind of SDR outsourcing. Um, you know, I think five, 10 years ago, it was a different story. You had to kind of outsource lead gen and it didn't work at all well. And, you, you know, it was everyone was disappointed. But you know, I've seen that work really well. And, 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 you know, the extension of that is, as you say, then outsourcing bigger chunks of that sales and go to market process and whether that be demand gen at the front end or or closing and and, and you know getting those deals over the line at, at the bottom end but i think a lot of it comes down to the you know the, the 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 investors typically and 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 therefore the kind of ceo and founders belief that there's intrinsic value 
in having those people in the business as a, as a kind of core asset really for that company. Um, and I think what you'll find is, and, and we hear this from investors a lot, that VCs are like, oh, no, we wouldn't consider an interim or a fractional because we need them to have a full-time employee because that's really important because that's about building the executive team. <laughs> and so they're not necessarily thinking about the outcomes you know, and, and what can be delivered by that fractional or interim. They're thinking about, okay, we need to build a team because we've just raised a Series A and that's what you do at a Series A. So, so I think there's a, there's a kind of, I don't know, some education that needs to be done there and, and a shift in mindset around thinking about the outcomes. Because quite frankly, you know, the, the alternative sometimes is you have a gap in your team of nine months because there's no, there's no revenue leader to, to hire. And would, what would you do? Rather have a gap of nine months and the whole thing being a complete shit show? Or would you rather, you know, get some bought in help and, and have someone that's uh, that's an interim or a fractional and or an outsourced right solution. So I think there's an education curve that we're on there. My own experience has been they'd rather spend billions of dollars on making a total shit show. Yeah. I, and then I don't understand why if I if I was writing the check for that, you know, I yeah. would say, wouldn't it be better to just spend this money one time and do it right? Because the reality is that you're only in that zone so short that why would you hire someone that potentially can't scale anyway? Yeah, it's nuts. I agree with you completely. I used yeah. to have this mm -hmm. argument all the time. I did a marketplace business where I ran sales for high-end developers. And people would say, I absolutely need to hire my CTO. And I'd say, why? You know, Because you're going to spend all that money on training that person to do a thing that somebody else already knows how to do. And if you fail, you just institutionalized you just capitalize that cost and mm -hmm. uh there just seems to be a fundamental misunderstanding around finance you know in in that context uh, let's let's pour concrete on a bad decision instead of making it you know out of uh, tissue paper i don't know it just i completely agree with you that if that was my money uh, it, it does not make any intuitive sense on why i would want to do that no no, I want the outcomes. I don't care who delivers the outcomes, whether that's internally, externally, outsourced. These are the outcomes I'm looking for. So, and, and I think, you know, I think the current challenges in the hiring market is going to force this trend, I think, towards the companies like yours and, and ours, because it, it is a shit show. You know, it's not sustainable, you know, taking this long to hire people, losing them after 12 to 18 months. You know, I think the bridge uh, group did some research and suggested that, you know, the the cost of a, of a senior revenue leader hire, um, you know, that goes wrong is like, it's like two or $3 million. You know, when you consider, when you consider, when you consider everything, right. The, the you know, not just the, the, the sourcing, the placement, the time, the culture impact, you know, not hitting the revenue plan, you know, there's so many knock-on consequences of, of getting it wrong. And it's, bit, and unfortunately it's, it, that problem is happening time and time again. So I think it's, it's only going to change. I hope. <laughs> We can always just keep throwing out solutions and, and trying to convince people, right? Exactly. So put your futurist hat on, you know, a little mm. bit. Now we've been talking about, obviously, like that that one topic right there is a huge move that we, mm. we hope will happen. But as as now you, you think on your, let's say your marketplace, you've got your providers and your and your sort of consumers there. If you can speak to them and say, you know, over the next two or three years, please pay attention to these things that you might not be paying attention to what comes to mind. Mm. 
I think it's it's uh, I think it's back to what we were just talking about. It's paying attention to the problems you're trying to solve and the outcomes that you're looking for and how you can solve those problems and get those outcomes in the most cost effective and timely timely way. And I think it's about opening their minds to to you know what's possible. And I think COVID has accelerated this a little bit in the sense that I would never have thought that we could be placing fractional leaders in the US, you know, supporting UK clients. You know, we've got we've got that now, right? We've got it's VPs of sales that we've onboarded in the US uh, supporting UK clients. Never never going to meet them. Uh, working two or three days a week for them and doing it via Zoom. Like, I mean, I, I love the fact that we've we've got to that stage, but I think it's now more companies need to embrace this idea of of support in different ways. It doesn't have to be the traditional, like nine months, get our exec search firm, you know, wait for a notice period. Like, it, just, it it's crazy. And so, whether that's outsourcing or whether that's you know fractional or interim or, or coaching via us, then. That is my plea to everyone. That is what I want everyone to kind of wake up and start thinking about. And, and that's, that's, that includes, by the way, the revenue leaders that are in a job flipping hate, you know, working for some someone that they really don't get on with. I had a call yesterday with a CRO, like, in a job he hates. He hates going to work every day, he told me. And I'm like, get out of there, man. Get out of there. There's another way. You don't need to be tied down to a single employer. Like we can help you build a fractional career, you know, do some advising, do some coaching. And you know what? We could even get you some equity um, in some of these companies because that's the kind of model that we're thinking about towards the end of this year where, you know, we, we, we actually start to help companies with a bit of equity and we can share that equity. So, so there really there's a, there's a lot to be said for, for this kind of on-demand executive model, this outsource model that you're providing. Uh, and I would just love... I would love more companies to open their minds to, to this being a solution. And it doesn't always have to be, we got to build our exec team. We need full-time hires because you know what? Those full-time hires are probably going to be gone in 12 to 18 months. And you've wasted a lot of time and a lot of money. We're both evangelizing for this, uh, this future <laughs> world. And, exactly. I, mean, I, I can personally say like, this is, this is not even my company. This is me over the course of my career. I have sold $50 million of stuff to people I will never meet and have never met. And I think that's the world that we live in now. And it's okay. Yeah. Virtually everybody who works with me at my company, I will never meet them. You know, <laughs> and, and that's okay too. You know, and I, yeah. I just, I am here to say it works. Like it, it, it definitely works. And, and we can make a spreadsheet to show you that it works. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, uh, it's bizarre, like how those things got baked into the zeitgeist of what is important yeah. when it's just not. No, it's not at all. It's not at all. But I think we're on like, I, I have hope though, Ledge. I have hope. I feel like we're on, we're on a kind of turning point. This is a bit of a zeitgeist moment where I think um, COVID has accelerated some of this stuff and the current hiring market is definitely accelerating some of this stuff as well. Well, bald guys unite, you know, clearly we have <laughs> something in common. <laughs> we do, man. Follically challenged. <laughs> 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 right. Tom, awesome insights. I love it. Great having you here. If anybody is listening, resonating, how can they reach out to you? Best channels, uh, ways you want to be contacted? Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously on LinkedIn. So just forward slash Tom Glasson. You can hit me up on email if you like. So tom at scalewise.com. 
always always keen to chat with um, either revenue leaders that are looking at and thinking about a portfolio career don't know where to start or or you know prospects especially seed to series c b2b tech companies um, that want to understand how they can uh, make the most of scale expertise on demand so yeah please reach out absolutely thanks for coming out man appreciate it awesome i really enjoyed it ledge thank you so much for having me Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.